0: It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you
1: did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox.
0: It's Live in the Bream with host of Fox News at Night, Shannon Bream.
1: All right, this week on Live in the Bream, we have uh, a topic that we have talked about many times on TV And on the podcast that we want to dig into a little bit deeper today with Luke Goodrich. He is the author of Free to Believe, a brand new book, The Battle Over Religious Liberty in America. He's also senior counsel and vice president at Beckett Fund for Religious Liberty. They have taken many of these key cases to the Supreme Court, and you've seen them on our air. Their attorneys have represented a number of folks in key cases that we've covered over the years. And now he joins us live to talk about his new book. Luke, welcome.
0: Thanks so much for having me.
1: Okay. What inspired you to write this book? Do you feel like uh, there's a lack of knowledge about what the real stakes are in this game? What What motivated you?
0: Yeah, there were two big events that motivated me. So I'm, a, I'm an attorney at the Beckett Fund. It's the nation's only law firm dedicated exclusively to protecting religious liberty for people of all faiths. And a few years ago, my church in Washington, D.C. actually invited me to preach a sermon on religious liberty. Now, I'd argued in court many times on religious liberty. I'd never preached a sermon. And that really forced me to think through what might Christians need or want to know about religious freedom. And that was very well received. And then several years later, I was at a gathering of Christian leaders. These are heads of denominations, of universities, of uh, Christian social service providers, right before the Supreme Court legalized same-sex marriage. And in that room of leaders, there was palpable fear and a real lack of knowledge about religious freedom. And I just realized at that point, hey, I've been litigating these cases for over a decade for folks like the Little Sisters of the Poor and Hobby Lobby, and I've learned a lot, standing shoulder to shoulder with people of faith. And now I want to bring that knowledge to everyday Americans and say, hey, here's what we need to know, why religious freedom matters, how it's threatened, and how we can respond in ways that protect it for generations to come.
1: Okay, so let me peel off a little bit. I wanna talk about the Little Sisters of the Poor because we have, this case has been going on for years and years and years and we've covered every twist and turn and now there is a new one out of the Ninth Circuit. A lot of people thought this was over a long time ago, but it's not, so explain where we are in the case now.
0: Sure, so as you recall, the Little Sisters of the Poor are Catholic nuns who devote their lives to caring for the elderly poor. And during the Obama administration, the federal government issued a new regulation that would require the Little Sisters of the Poor, Catholic nuns, to use their health insurance plans to cover contraception and abortion-causing drugs. And so we, the Beckett Fund, came alongside the Little Sisters, sued the Obama administration, took it all the way up to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court basically said, hey, federal government, can't you figure out a way to deliver contraception without using nuns? Go figure this out. Trump was elected. The Trump administration issued a great regulation that protects the Little Sisters of the Poor just as it should. But several blue states, California, Pennsylvania and others, sued the Trump administration, sued the Little Sisters of the Poor, saying that this religious freedom protection is somehow unlawful. And unfortunately, the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals ruled against the Little Sisters of the Poor, said this compromise was unlawful. And now we're appealing to the Supreme Court again. Now, we're very optimistic. We've already won once, and we're basically looking forward to winning again and putting this to rest once and for all and letting the Little Sisters of the Poor get back to caring for the elderly poor.
1: Yeah, and reading the news coverage of that decision by the Ninth Circuit last week and really over the last several years um, with this particular group, there are a lot of folks on the other side who will say, listen, why is this so difficult? Why can't they just sign a form? Why can't they just make an accommodation? They say that this is a Trojan horse. To allow any of these groups to have exemptions will threaten birth control access and abortion access for all kinds of female and male employees uh, across the country, regardless of who they work for. And that this is just sort of one more way that um, folks who are of the religious right or conservatives who um, really place a high value on religion or using it as a tool um, to bring out to actually um, bring about policy changes that line up more with their worldview. And it's not fair to women They should be able to rely on where, regardless of where they work, that they will have access to these things.
0: Yeah, the little sisters of the poor are not stopping anyone from getting contraception. And the fact of the matter is there's been widespread access to contraception for many years, long before Obamacare came onto the scene. And it was completely unnecessary for the government to issue a regulation that basically hijacks the Little Sisters of the Poor and their health insurance plan and uses the Little Sisters to deliver contraception and abortion-inducing drugs. And actually, the first time we got to the U.S. Supreme Court, the Obama administration itself admitted that there are multiple ways for the most powerful government in the world to deliver contraception without using Catholic nuns. And that's still the position we're in in court today, and we're confident that the court is gonna say, you can deliver contraception without using nuns.
1: Okay, so let's talk about some of the other fronts out there. One that we've covered and we imagine a case will bubble up to the highest levels at some point, or a number of these social organizations or services like adoption agencies and things where people will say, Um, Okay, a Catholic uh, adoption agency does not want to place children with same-sex couples. Those kids need a home. They need somewhere to go. And why should these agencies in any way receive any federal funding, um, have a tax-exempt status, or anything else if they're not willing to say, listen, let's place these children with loving parents regardless of what their partnership or marital situation is?
0: Yeah, we're representing several of these religious organizations right now in a couple different lawsuits, and the city of Philadelphia is one of them. We're representing Catholic Social Services, and for over 100 years, this has been a Christian ministry that recruits loving families to provide loving homes to needy children, especially foster children. And they've been doing a great job. There are Christians who've relied on them to support them in caring for foster children. There's never been a problem. In over 100 years, no same-sex couple has ever asked Catholic Social Services to help them in this way. And there are over a dozen other adoption agencies that readily provide placements for same-sex couples. So if if Catholic Social Services was ever asked to do this, they would simply refer the couple to another agency that would help them. So there's no question at all in this case that same-sex couples can continue participating in foster care. But nevertheless, the city of Philadelphia has said, we disagree with your religious beliefs about marriage, and we are going to shut you down. And not only is that religious discrimination against the Catholic organization, but the ultimate people who are harmed by this are really the children. There are, There's a foster care crisis right now in this country. The city of Philadelphia admitted that and issued a call for more foster families. And groups like Catholic Social Services, they are doing the best job of recruiting new families and supporting existing families. So if you shut them down, uh, and we have abundant statistical evidence of this, there are fewer homes and children are ultimately harmed. So this is a, a really an ugly move by the city of Philadelphia uh, to put politics above the needs of children. And ultimately, we need all hands on deck to tackle this foster care crisis. And that means you don't put your best players on the bench. You need Catholic groups, religious groups doing this service for kids.
1: Do you think that particular dispute, maybe not Philadelphia, but just this idea of social um, service organizations will ultimately end up at the Supreme Court for a decision?
0: Yes, I do. We have actually asked the Supreme Court already to hear the Philadelphia case, because the Third Circuit ruled against Catholic social services. We have another case in Michigan Uh, similar facts, and the Michigan court ruled in our favor. So you have courts that have reached opposite conclusions on this issue. It's a hugely important issue. And that's what typically motivates the Supreme Court to weigh in. So we could hear in the matter of weeks or or a couple months that the court's going to take one of these cases.
1: We'll have more Live in the Bream in a moment
0: fox news radio on demand on the fox news app download the app and just click listen when you swipe left you can listen to your favorite fox news talk shows live swipe right for the latest fox news radio newscasts on demand fox news radio on the fox news app download it today
1: So let's talk about the florists and the cake bakers. Um, Again, we've covered these cases for years, and a lot of people say, oh, before Justice Kennedy retired, they did decide the cake baker out of Colorado case. Um, But those of us who really um, dig in and read these opinions know that it was sort of a punt for another day. In that particular case, it was a bit of a decision. But um, there are so many other cases, similar cases out there that um, we're tracking and that you guys are involved with. So, do you anticipate what the timeline would be for another one of those getting back to the court? Because it seems like there's unfinished business about actually drawing some lines about um, where people of religious faith who may run their own business um, can make uh, decisions about using their artistic um, abilities or um, you know their skills as a worker versus. Um, what people say, listen, if they're allowed to turn people away for any reason, that it's discriminatory, that you are discriminated against people on the basis of what they would argue is a protected class.
0: Yeah, that's that's the debate. There's a case right now on behalf of Baronel Stutzman, the Arlene's Flowers case that uh, the Supreme Court has been asked to weigh in on. And you're right, it's an open issue after the Cake Baker case. But the the types of arguments we're making is that, you know, Our country is deeply divided on questions of sexual morality, on questions of religion and of life, and the question in these cases is really, is the government going to pick one side of this debate and crush everyone who disagrees? Or is the government going to find a way to let everybody live according to their deeply held values? And that's what religious freedom really allows. When the government respects both sides, it can respect LGBT individuals, it can respect religious individuals and allow them to live and run their businesses according to their deeply held beliefs. And that ultimately allows a divided society to live together in relative peace.
1: And again, we're talking to Luke Goodrich, who is an accomplished attorney. He's been involved with these issues of religious liberty uh, throughout the court system for a long time. And now he's got this new book coming out, Free to Believe, the Battle over Religious Liberty in America. So we're talking about what some of the current um you know conflicts are, some others that we see coming through the pipeline. I want to ask you as well about something that came up with a number of the Democratic candidates uh, for the 2020 presidential nomination on that side of the aisle, um, talking about the fact that they think uh, it would be perfectly um, respectable. And, and it should be that if you hold a position that is, in their estimation, discriminatory, if you oppose same-sex marriage, for example, that you should not enjoy a tax-exempt status um, houses of worship it could be religious schools or universities other organizations but O'Rourke has made it very clear others have uh, made similar statements um, does that worry you?
0: it it worries me but it definitely doesn't surprise me because if you listen to the logic of a lot of these candidates and a lot of folks on the left stripping the tax-exempt status of churches and religious colleges across the country is really just, The logical conclusion of a lot of their arguments and the main argument they make, folks like Beto and other candidates, is to compare traditional Christian beliefs about marriage to racism. Mm -hmm. And they argue that uh, just like the government can use all the power in its arsenal to stamp out racism, the government can do the exact same thing to traditional Christian beliefs about marriage. And if if that argument ever was accepted in court, that would be a devastating blow to religious freedom. Uh, I address it in detail in my book, Free to Believe, why that comparison between uh, sexual orientation issues and race is a bad analogy. And just very briefly, the, the reason the government has so much power to stamp out racism, and rightly so, is because of our nation's uniquely tragic history of race discrimination. We had hundreds of years of slavery based on race. We had a civil war fought based on race, and we had... Decades of government-supported segregation based on race, and this imposed dramatic barriers on African Americans to full participation in the economic, social and political life of our nation. So that's why the government has these powerful tools to eradicate racism. It doesn't have the same type of tools for any other type of discrimination, sex discrimination, disability discrimination, age discrimination. Those are all treated differently. And sexual orientation will also be treated differently, I believe, by the courts. You even see this in the Supreme Court's Obergefell decision. When the court struck down bans on interracial marriage in the Loving case, it condemned the beliefs behind interracial marriage bans as invidious relics of white supremacy. That should be condemned and stamped out. When the government recognized same-sex marriage in Obergefell, it did the exact opposite. It said these beliefs in traditional marriage are held by decent and honorable people and are worthy of protection. So the Supreme Court itself has already recognized that race is different, and the government has no business labeling traditional religious beliefs about human sexuality to be some kind of immoral bigotry that the government should stamp out. Rather, those beliefs should be protected. Mm -hmm.
1: And there were warnings, if I remember correctly, from a couple of the dissenters saying there may come a time where you're going to have to whisper these things or you're going to be ostracized from society. Um, And, you know, when I talk to folks on all sides of these issues, it seems like um, it's for many people, it's an all or nothing um, equation. It's either you fully support uh, and embrace a specific ideology or you quote unquote hate that person or um, you are bigoted. Um, how do you handle those kinds of arguments? Because it's, it's a personal attack, but um, people may genuinely believe and feel that way.
0: Yeah, if, if you stop and think about it, uh, LGBTQ individuals and religious individuals are actually making very similar and parallel claims on the rest of society. LGBTQ individuals are saying, hey, my sexuality is a fundamental aspect of who I am as a person, and the government should not punish me for who I am or who I love. But religious people are actually making virtually the same argument. They're saying my religious beliefs are a core aspect of who I am as a person, and the government should not be punishing me because of who I am. Or who I love, you know, the God that I love and the, and the commands of his that I'm trying to follow. And so I think most Americans, when you explain it that way, most Americans realize that we have a divided society. On questions of sex and religion and and morality. And they don't actually want the government to pick one side and just crush everybody who disagrees. They want to find a way for people to live together in peace. And that's really what religious freedom does. And that's one of the reasons why it's so important to defend it for people of all faiths.
1: You mentioned that all faiths, because I know that you all have been um, involved with cases that are, you know, people predominantly think Catholic or Christian groups. Um, But you all have fought cases for people across the Uh, religious spectrum. Why do you think it is that so many of these cases, though, do focus on, um, you know, Christian based Catholic uh, organizations and entities when we know there are other religious groups out there who are well represented, who may have some of the similar beliefs about traditional marriage and all those kinds of issues, but it seems like they aren't the ones who end up in court.
0: Yeah, I think there is a a tendency sometimes in the in the media to latch on to the religious freedom issues that happen to deal with controversial issues like sex and abortion. Uh, But I actually did an empirical study on this a while back, looking at uh, all the religious freedom cases since the big Hobby Lobby case Mm -hmm. that we handled in the Supreme Court. And if you look statistically, remarkably, uh, Non-Christian religious faiths are statistically overrepresented in the religious freedom cases that mm-hmm. have been brought, and Christians are statistically underrepresented. So in a very real sense, religious freedom is just as important, if not more so, for non-Christians. And I address uh, in detail in the book why it's so important for us, whether you're a Christian or a person of other faith to defend religious freedom for people that you disagree with. And and two main arguments for this. One, I call it an argument from self-interest, because in a very real sense, our religious freedom is bound together, even with those with whom we disagree. And when I stand up for someone who could be a Jewish person, Sikh, Santero, Muslim, uh, we are actually setting precedents that then protect Christians or or others that we may agree with. And by contrast, when the Supreme Court has issued bad decisions on religious liberty, the most famous actually involves Native Americans, uh, those bad decisions end up harming everybody. So if we don't stand up for religious freedom for everyone, we're really undermining it for ourselves. Uh, Second big argument for why we care about religious freedom for all is that really it's a fundamental human right. Every human being is born with a thirst for the transcendent, with a religious impulse and a desire for transcendent truth. We're also born with a conscience, an inner voice that urges us to embrace the truth and reject falsehood. Uh, But our conscience we can only act on if freely. We cannot embrace transcendent truth under coercion. So when the government tries to coerce people in matters of religious truth, like it has the little sisters of the poor, the government is violating a fundamental human right. And that's a right that extends to all people, regardless of what faith they hold.
1: Do you think there is a way to find common ground? I mean, we look to our judges and ultimately justices to be very wise people who follow the law as as it is written, um, but try to mediate some of the toughest disputes our country has. That's how they end up at the Supreme Court with these nine people uh, that we entrust to find some kind of solution. Do you think in these cases uh, that there is a middle ground where people on both sides of this, whether it's LGBTQ and on the other side, a religious employer or group can find a way to have respect for each other, to have kindness towards each other and to find a solution that works for everybody. Is that possible?
0: It is difficult, but it is possible. And I think uh, the area of abortion can actually show us a potential way that this works out. Now, abortion is a deeply divisive issue in our society. Roe v. Wade was a deeply controversial decision that I that I disagree with. But at the very same time the Supreme Court decided Roe v. Wade, it also decided a case called Doe v. Bolton, holding that religious doctors and hospitals could never be forced to participate in an abortion in violation of their religious beliefs. And that's been a largely stable compromise ever since. Uh, Roe versus Wade makes abortion lawful, yet all 50 states have enacted laws saying that doctors and hospitals who religiously object to abortion have to be allowed to step aside. And I think even on controversial issues like gay rights, that shows us a path forward. Uh, Take the adoption and foster care case we were talking about before. You know, it's one thing for the law to say same-sex couples cannot adopt or foster. Uh, That is harming them, and that's no longer the law. The law says that they can adopt and foster. The question is whether religious organizations like Catholic Social Services will be forced at the gunpoint of the government to participate in that, Or, like the issue of abortion, will they be allowed to step aside and live their beliefs uh, in accordance with their faith? And so these types of compromises where LGBT individuals can can get the services they want, but religious people are allowed to step aside, that offers us a way forward.
1: Well, the Supreme Court has a lot on that front um, to find its way through and to find a decision. Uh, We know many of those cases are On the doorstep. And so we'll watch. We know you're involved with many of them. Again, Luke Goodrich, our guest today. The book is Free to Believe, The Battle Over Religious Liberty in America. And I would encourage folks, wherever you stand on this issue, um, to give it a read. Um, Luke has got enormous depth of experience in these very difficult issues. And it's very thought-provoking. And, um, you know, we'll see how these things play out in the future. We know you'll continue to stay involved. Uh, Luke, thank you for being with us on Live in the
0: Bream. Thanks so much, Shannon. Great being here.